1: We receive a small percentage of however much you pay for whatever you bought. Nothing extra for you, but a tangible contribution, if small, for us. You could also sign up for a free trial with the voluminous audible.com. We get something out of that too. We thank you for the support and allowing us to continue presenting Krishnadas's excellent talks. I have a question. Uh, Why did you
0: come back from India? Why what? Why did you come back from
2: India? I was sent back, God damn it. Maharaji looked at me after two and a half years of me walking around barefoot in a red dress. He says, go back to America. You have attachment there. He said, you have attachment. You have to go back. So he sent me back. Uh, I said, I'm just learning Hindi. Too bad. I was, you know, I had been in India so long. And when I went to India, I never planned to come back. I, I, I gave everything I had. I sold my record collection. My, I gave my jeans away. I was never coming back. And, uh, but you can hide in India. You, you, you know, first of all, we got to India The Indian people didn't know anything about us. All they saw were these people who left the country of everything to come to the country of almost nothing, you know? And yet we were, like, walking around, like, so happy. They could not believe it. They thought we were gods from, you know, descended from heaven, you know? And when the people talked to me, they didn't see the severely depressed, lapsed rock and roller. They just saw... Somebody, you know, a sadhu. They saw somebody who was there for God, you know. So they talked to that person. So that other guy had nobody to talk to, first of all. And it just kind of built up and built up. And all the stuff that didn't get worked on, and, you know, it just kind of, I was so, t- I was so f- filled and like this. I, nothing was moving, you know. There was nothing moving through. I was just like, hello, how are you? I'm fine. You know, I just, but it was, and he knew, you know, and the reason I was like that is my, I was closed. My own stuff was still, all the desires, all the bullshit was all still there, had no place to go and nobody to talk to for all those years. It just got stronger and stronger and wouldn't let the stuff flow through, wouldn't let the love flow through. So he just sent me back to deal with it. And, you know, just before he left the body, he was sending a lot of the Westerners home. Nobody wanted to leave, you know. He said, Baba, we don't want to go. We want to stay with you. He said, "Night, you have to go. He said, your whole lives are waiting for you in America. And then he said, I gave you more than I gave the Indians. He said, I let you love me unconditionally. I let you love me unconditionally. He allowed us into the room where love lives. And we didn't have to pay anything. We could come in just like we are. And, you know, only love can do that. Only a being who has become that love completely can do that. There was no price to pay. There was no sadhana to do. He never would tell us to do a sadhana. You know, to do a practice. We were dying to pretend we could do some practice. <laughs> he wasn't buying it, you know. He knew. He never encouraged us to do any practice that, was, that we were doing that was going to be good for, for our own sake, the sake of our own whatever, enlightenment. You know? He never encouraged self-centered practice at all. When we say, how do you find God? He said, feed people, uh, serve people. What? I thought he was crazy. What is he talking about? Serve people? What does that have to do with God? I hope you can see how stupid that is. And if you can't, we'll keep talking about it. And then we say, well, how do you raise kundalini? You know, everybody, kundalini is supposed to go up like this, hit you in the head, give you a headache. He said, feed people. Food? That's what he was talking about. See everybody as God. Treat everybody as God. Don't think about yourself. Don't obsess about yourself. It ain't about you. We're not capable of that. That's why he didn't teach. And that's why he didn't really give us practices. So, and like I said many times, when when this guy came and asked Maharaji how to meditate, Maharaji said, meditate like Christ. What? We're in, you know, we're Indian. I was wearing the holy clothes and the ashes, the whole thing. And he says, meditate like Christ. I didn't come here for that. So somebody said, well, how did he meditate? Because we thought, okay, now we got him. He must know or he wouldn't say it. We'll ask him, he'll tell us we'll do it, and then we'll be enlightened, right? So he said, uh, I said, well, how did, how did Jesus meditate? He lost himself in love. He lost himself in love. He's one with all beings. He never died. No one understands. He lost himself in love. You know, I'm not sure the Pope would agree. I'm not sure that most Christians would agree. But that's what he said. He lost himself in love. He didn't say, watch your nose, watch your breath do this mantra, stand it on your head for a thousand years. He said, lose yourself in love. Well, how can you do that? How can I do that? I was so de- depressed when he said that. Great. How am I going to do that? You know, that's what I went to India for, to find that love and try to lose myself in it, immerse myself in it, find myself in it. But how was that going to happen? I had so much stuff I wanted to do in life that I was crippling myself. And not able to go out and do. Once I was sitting in the jungle with this very old Baba. He was 163 years old. He's still alive. He's 185 now or something like that. And he used to just, we used to sit around with him all day. He didn't really do anything. He had a little schmata tied around his head and sitting in a, in a lawn chair in the jungle. <laughs> you know, talking to people, come, go. You know, And we just thought he's this sweet little old guy. And then these big sadhus would come out of the jungle, you know, like with their hair up to here, cu- naked, covered in ashes, eyes like burning coals. And they'd come in front of him like this. <laughs> and they'd bow, you know, 20 times. They'd bow down and he'd go, go away. Okay, okay, okay. It was like, who is this guy? Anyway, so one day he looks at me and he's like, he goes like, like, oh, what is that? It's like he smelled something like it died three years ago, you know? And he goes, you have to develop willpower. I looked at him like, I thought, I looked at him like this, and I thought to myself, willpower? What do you need that for? And he saw what I was thinking. He, you know, obviously could read my thoughts. and So he showed me what he saw in me, right? He opened me up inside. He showed me what he's seen. And I went, oh, God. And I saw I was crippling myself every step of the way, every day, about everything. I wasn't going after stuff. I wasn't doing what I wanted to do. I had all these hidden desires, all this stuff that had to come out, and I wasn't going for it. It was just sitting there festering, and nothing was going to happen unless I got my shit together. It was... I can't tell you, It it that moment was really a big moment. I mean, I, and another time he looked at me. He goes, this is like in mid-80s, okay, in the middle of the jungle. I'm not doing nothing in life, hanging around. He looks at me, he goes, hmm, you're going to be famous. So I looked up at him, I go, and Rich. <laughs> he laughed, you know. He had a great laugh. (laughs) And he comes up to me, nose to nose, eye to eye, and he goes, famous. (laughs) You take your shot, right? Uh, He could do anything. What do you know? He's, okay, rich too. Yeah, okay, I'll finally get that Jaguar I always wanted. So, but the thing about willpower, who's going to do it if we don't do it?
1: Who's going to do it?
2: You know? Who's going to get me out of bed in the morning? At least I have to push the button on the crane that will come over and lift me up. And that pushing that button is my willpower. I'm, my arm is picking my arm, going for the button. Willpower is everything. It's the direction. It's, it's the wheel, the steering wheel. It's the, I mean, it's the energy that goes where, where you take it, where you aim it. And there was, and I saw, when he said that to me, I saw that, whoa, there's only one life going on here. There's my life. It's not like there's spiritual life and worldly life. You know, it's not like, it's not like some festivals we go to, ashram in the day, nightclub at night. It's just life. And there's nowhere else to go. There's nowhere to hide. And, if you don't do it, if you don't live your life, who's going to live it for you? You know? You want to sit down or you want to stand up? You can sit. Come sit. Just come sit. Don't worry about anything. So that was a really big moment, you know. And just seeing that so clearly that I was, my, I, I was in my own way all the time just seeing that really it's not like I then decide okay I'm never going to be in my own way again no but just seeing it so clearly shifted a lot of stuff and I began to notice how I was tripping myself up and I kind of began to try to stop doing that there's only one life this one right now until the, we're in the next one. Then there'll only be one life next time. But one life at a time, that's what we got. Let's let's deal with it, you know? What are you gonna wait for, you know? Everything we do, every thought, every emotion, every action is planting a seed. And seeds get planted and seeds grow. Uh, if we plant seeds, and create an atmosphere of caring and compassion and uh, giving ourselves a break, those things will grow from that. If we plant seeds of selfishness and if we continue to be ruled by our fears and our our shame and our self-centeredness, then those seeds will continue to grow. So we have a choice. You know, the laws of karma is what frees us from the prison that we, we find ourselves in. You get to plant the kind of seeds you want to see grow if you pay attention. Otherwise, you're not planting nothing. You're planting seeds of non-attention and you'll get more of that. So the practice, once again, the practice is what we, we, we add that into our lives. And we spend a little bit of time at it every day. It has to be every day. Okay, every third Sunday of every fourth year, on the leap year, you can take a day off. But it has to be every day. Because if it's not every day, then you only wind up doing when you want to. And when you need it, it's not going to be there. What we're doing is training ourselves. We can't learn anything, let's face it but we can train ourselves to this letting-go muscle. We can build up this letting-go muscle so that when something heavy comes to in our lives, it may push us under for quite a while, but we will come back up sooner if we're used to this process of letting go. We're developing that process, which is it's breaking up the the clinging we have to every thought and identification we have with every thought. And underneath all of that is, is love, real love, the love that these great beings led us into the room. That kind of the love that's, you don't fall in love and you don't fall out of love. Love is who we are. We might be able to share it if somebody's paying attention then there's a lot of possibilities. But you have to be there yourself. You have to recognize that, recognize that love within us, that presence. It's not emotion, it's not all weeping, like people who sit and cry, you know, fine. Sometimes I cry, fine. But it's the presence and the space that we enter into, which opens up into this wonderful vast presence it's very intimate but it's not necessarily personal it's very unusual you feel it but you notice it has a different quality than the kind of clinging type of love we usually are used to the love that comes with all the the the, uh expectation and longing and fear and all the emotional stuff this is this is the this is the space around us like the air like the space of this room we're all sitting in it but we're not always aware of it but the space is always here so as you as the mind quiets down and the heart kind of relaxes and we get used to just not being caught by every wave of thought and emotion all day long, all life long, we begin to become aware of that presence, that love that lives within us. Which ultimately is Ram, is Krishna, is Kali, is Shiva. That's who they are. At the very least. The Atman, the soul, so to speak, is not different than the paramatma, the supreme soul, of which it's a, a, it's a reflection. Like there's the moon, the light of the moon. It's reflected in many different pools or little ponds. It's the same light, but it's one little reflection of that light. Not a different thing. Same thing. Just a smaller little vehicle of it, a reflection.
1: He was born that way, or he also had a guru, or what is the story from him?
2: The answer is yes. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we know very little about his life. He was uh, the oldest child, and then uh, his mother died when he was young, like eight or nine or something like that. And his father remarried, and his stepmother uh, didn't like him because he was the oldest child, and she wanted her son to inherit whatever. So she didn't feed him well and didn't take care of him. So he left home at a very early age, and he went off into the jungle. And nobody knew where he was for many years until one day somebody, a, a a villager from his village was traveling somewhere and saw him sitting uh, by a river somewhere and went back and told his father, and his father came and brought him home. Uh, Before he had left, maybe he was about 10 or 12 when he left home, but before he left, he had been betrothed to a young girl in the village, you know, engaged. Uh, But when he left home, she became, you know, in India, she's essentially called a widow at that point because no one would marry her. So, uh, when he came back home, he he started to live at home, and he married this woman. Now they were much older, obviously, and they had family, and he just stayed home for many years. And he would sit inside the house a lot, and people would come and knock on the door and come to talk to him. Wandering people, monks, sadhus, all kinds of people would come. And this happened all the time. But because of Maharaji's... Powers, you might say. Nobody kind of wondered about it. Well, how did they know he was here? And what were they talking about? It was very strange. He just kept like a, you know, like a fog around it. So nobody really realized. Nobody realized how may, how unusual it was. What was going on? And then, uh, at some point later on, he left home again. And entered. Went into a cave for many years. Uh, twice, once for five years and once for three years and then after he came out of the cave he basically uh, would go back home to check in but he was mostly traveling all the time wandering around
1: Yeah, but there is no uh, information, that any guru or somebody who was really giving him sadhana or anything?
2: Yeah, he definitely had a guru, everybody has a guru you can't do anything without a guru whether your guru is in a body or not that has nothing to do with it it's it's irrelevant you may want that you may think you have to have that but it's irrelevant whether the guru is whether you number one know who your guru is meet your guru or don't meet your guru it's irrelevant every being in the universe has a guru we're connected to lineages that go back into the past and whether we know it or not those lineages are working on us and when it would be the best thing for us all of a sudden we know who our guru is or we have an experience that tells us something but the ego just wants to grab onto that whole process and has nothing to do with, with what we think we want or what our ego wants or anything like that so um These great beings, they, okay, you know, in some way, if we would think about spiritual life, we would think, okay, we're working ourselves higher up on this ladder into realization, which is at the top of the ladder, right? Or it's just after you jump off the ladder or something like that. We have It's kind of like we're working our ways up. For these great beings, it's exactly the opposite. They bring in so much that what they're doing sadhana for is to rewire the body so they could, it could hold this light so we could see it. They've already, It doesn't matter to them. They're, they're, they've already, they already become it all. So now the question is, how long can they hold it in the body for us to see? That's what a great being does. So all the practices they do, they do it from a completely different motivation than we do. Our motivation is selfish. We want to be happy. We want to feel something. We want to realize God. Whatever we're talking about, it's self-centered. Not bad, but it's self-directed towards me and what I want out of life. These beings don't have that kind of self. They're not people like us. They're not egos like us. There's no personal selfish desires unfulfilled in these beings anymore. So they've manifested a body only for the sake of our happiness and to teach us or to show us what's possible. So that's why they do these practices from a completely different place than we do.
0: I wanted to ask earlier when you were talking about um, the practice leads you to the part of yourself that you've turned away from. Mm-hmm. If What happens when you get there, like, is it, is it a conscious process, or might it be, or is it not? Does it do those things? When, when you
2: get, where?
0: When you can see those parts of yourself.
2: Mm-hmm. No, it, it just, it, it, it happens kind of under the radar, you know? The more relaxed you are, well, let's just think, if you walk into a room full of people that you know and love and... You know, you're well acquainted with them. You're relaxed, right? It's easy, it's easy. When you walk into a, a room full of people that you've never met before and you have, to, you have to go and talk to all of them, you know, there's like, okay, who are these people? What am I going to do? And you, you, do, you enter that room in a particular shape. You know, you take a shape. Uh, you know, okay, I got to be, you know, I want to, you know. But when you're in a room with people that you that you know and love, you just relax. You're in no particular shape. So it becomes obvious as what you the quieter you are inside, the easier it is to see the shapes you you, you're putting yourself through as life as you meet every second of life and everything that happens in our lives. Because we're always reacting. We're not acting, we're reacting. We get to a point where we can act, where we actually get to a point where we have a vote about how we live in the moment. You know, it it, it becomes, but these are knee-jerk reactions. You can't, the, the way we go through life reacting, we don't have much vote at all. They're knee-jerk reactions, the stuff that's deep inside of us, our fears, our desires, everything that we're all bent out of shape about. But the more relaxed you are with yourself, you begin to see it all differently. And when you see it like that, it's already floating away. You might grab it back in the next second, but for a minute you've, been, you've seen it. And once you see something, you can't pretend you haven't seen it. You, know, you can pretend you haven't seen it, but you know you've seen it. Even though you're pretending. You know you're pretending you haven't seen it, but you know you've seen it. And that changes everything. Maybe not immediately, but once the tree's been cut, it'll fall sooner or later. So it may not fall at that moment, but you know the tree's been cut, or you don't even know, you've just seen it. Seeing is different than knowing. very two different things. Knowing is a cognitive process. Now, I understand that. Yes, I see. Seeing is just immediate. You see it. And there's an intuitive, immediate understanding that's different than knowing. It's quicker, it's deeper, it's more complete understand that kind of understanding. So, like I said, over the time of doing practice, over years, you wind up spending less time in negative states of mind. It just works that way. You don't necessarily notice it. In fact, you probably don't notice it. You, most of us, okay, I still feel like the same schmuck I always was. But I feel like that a lot less of the time. And so all the rest of the time, when I'm not feeling like a schmuck, I'm fairly happy. But when I'm feeling like a schmuck, it's horrible. But I feel like that a lot less of the time. That's a result of practice. And when you're feeling relaxed and at ease with yourself, it's much easier to extend yourself to other people. And not to react to their stuff, you don't take everything so personally every, all anymore. What a, its an incredible relief, let me tell you. You see, other people are projecting on you, their own stuff, and you go, "Hi, I'm in here." Hello, oh, and you just keep pushing the projections away. Very, you let them go over you, and you're there. You don't grab onto them, and react. But there's no way to stop that up here, you see. It has to stop from in here when you're at ease in your own heart. The more at ease you are, the more, it is, the more easy it is to see those things. And the more, easy it, the more possible it becomes to actually let go of those kinds of reactions. But they're very deep. It takes time to reprogram ourselves or to deprogram ourselves because we're programmed so heavily, you know, we get born. And you then think of what happens to you. My God, it's insane. How does anybody live through it? It's really amazing. I, I have a grandson, you know, and I just yesterday I looked at a little video clip that we made when he was about a year old, right? Now he's almost two and a half. And even at a year, he was like... You know, he was just wide open like this, you know. There was, you didn't, but now at two and a half, like he's got all kinds of stuff going on, you know. Where did this come from? He's just naturally programmed by everything that happens to him, by what his parents do, by what they think, by what they feel about themselves, how they see themselves. He gets programmed by that. He feels the vibe. He moves into it and takes a shape just like we do. It's a lot of deprogramming. And that happens through practice. Because think of the practice. What are, we, what are we asked to do? We're asked to repeat this mantra, this name, that we don't know what it means. And the only thing we're asked to do is the moment we, we notice we're not paying attention, to just pay attention. That's the whole thing. To Think that of all the incredible Wonders that can come from just that little practice is extraordinary. Just bringing ourselves back to here again and again and again and again and again and again. again. If you're really doing the practice in one chant, you might, if you're really paying attention, you might notice that 90% of the time you're actually not paying attention. It's it's mind-blowing. And a lot of people can't. It's very hard to to, uh, to deal with that. It's very hard. Because we judge ourselves very harshly. So when we see, begin to see our stuff and our inability to pay attention, to deal with stuff, we start doing another trip on top of it, which we don't notice. It seems perfectly natural. Ah, I can't do this stuff. This is so hard. <laughs> yeah, oh God, I, it's terrible I've got a headache, i got to get out of here and we think that's perfectly natural but that's just a reaction another reaction on top of another reaction on top of another reaction where is their bo- where's the bottom? You know, where's the ground? the ground will manifest as we pay attention because in that moment of coming back we're actually touching the ground for a second but then we're gone you can't hold on to that, just like what you said or you said about holding on to that. How do I? How am I going to? You don't. It's not your job to hold on to it. Your job is when you when you're doing the practice to just do it. But when you're not feeling bad, when you're not really locked into some kind of crazy trip that you're laying on yourself, everything's okay. But it's hard to notice that. It's like you don't notice the space between thoughts. You know, there's actually a space between thoughts. That's what they say. One time, I had taken a huge dose of acid. Huge. Enough to, like, put three horses on the moon. And I was just lying in my bed, like... You know? And all of a sudden i went what is what what is that what i felt something i kind of kind of combination of heard it saw it felt it you know what is this what i felt like something coming towards me from a great distance you know and it was coming closer and closer and closer and i went it's a thought And then I was thinking. It was an insane experience. I was actually thinking. I couldn't believe it. And then it started to leave. And I was going like, no, no, don't leave, don't leave, don't leave. ah." And I was just being again. And then after a while, I saw another one. Oh, no, no. Ah, and it came over me, and I was thinking. And then it left, and they started to come faster and faster. And then finally, I was back, <laughs> thinking all the time. This is what we consider life, thinking. We're always in our thoughts, 24-7, all the day, everything. Thinking, reacting, emotion, feeling, blah, 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 blah. All the time, we don't have, there's no space in there at all. But there is space, and every time we simply come back, like when we do a practice, when we just come back to the chant, that moment is a huge moment. Not huge because you can hang on to it and go, wow, I just came back. Because that's just another thought. And you let go of it as soon as you notice it and come back. You can always let go. And you develop the ability to let go, no matter what's got you. This is a really essential Ability to develop letting go letting go because we're always thinking always thinking you're thinking about this right now maybe whatever it is you're thinking about something maybe it's like when is this over I gotta get in the
1: ocean that's just the thought Thank you for listening to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. We really appreciate your support and hope you'll continue that support by going to mindpodnetwork.com slash kd and clicking on the donate button or using our amazon.com portal for all of your purchases. Thank you. Namaste.